Welcome to Iconic Talk. This is your community's podcast with conversations about real estate, local happenings, and all things Winchester, Virginia. I'm Mark Francis, a local realtor broker and owner at Icon Real Estates. And I'm Megan Eanes, a local realtor for 21 years and part of the Icon Real Estate team. Mark and I are so excited to share everything that we love about Winchester, Virginia with you. We want you to be an informed, savvy real estate consumer in today's ever-changing market. Yep. If you want local knowledge, you've come to the right place. Well, it was cool to release an episode on Thanksgiving and so gotten feedback from people about having Thanksgiving conversations. And yeah, you know, it, my Thanksgiving went as predicted. How about you? About the same. Uh, you can't beat a Thanksgiving at the beach. <laughs> I mean, ever. <laughs> so it was wonderful. It. Yep, gotta love it. And um, yeah, I just um, did not get a chance to go to North Carolina. My son went down there and my wife helped, um, you know, with transportation and got him back into town safe and sound, but he ran an amazing race. And um, that was an opportunity for them to go visit some family on the way back in town also. And it gave me a chance to just sit back, relax, watch some soccer, which I'm I'm always excited about sitting back and just watching soccer games. So that was my Thanksgiving. And um, and hopefully you guys out there in the listening audience had a good one as well. We continue to like to hear from you, so share your stories. Let us know, you know how your turkey day went and what things you're looking forward to coming up for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just want to harken back to some of our older episodes because I'm sharing our our history with a lot of people now, and we're up to episode seventy. I know now, and so there's a lot of content that's out there that we're not going to repeat, but we're not, we're going to go back to. So several weeks ago on episode 59, I was able to share some thoughts on flipping. And the title is The Art of Flipping. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, we mentioned how there is another kind of investing, and it's building a portfolio, renting, and building your, your net worth that way. Well, we finally have gotten the expert on the panel here today mm-hmm. to join us, Ross Lehman, who also has been on the show before, and he shared his story right. about how he got into lending, and he didn't get a chance to get into this portion of his business because we really focused on his lending. But, um, and by the way, that show is back in May. I don't have the actual number on that one. I, I'll, I'll tell you in a second here. Yeah, Fluctuating Rates is the name of it, episode 42. Okay. So if you want to get an update of kind of the history of Ross Lehman before we talk to him now, go back and listen to that episode. Episode 42, okay. But this is going to be an amazing interview because he breaks down the the myths and the fears of building a portfolio of owning houses. And part of my fear <laughs> of why too. I flip is I don't want to deal with all the has- hassle and headaches mm-hmm. of owning houses and people calling me in the middle of the night. He gets a chance to address that. So I'm excited about our conversation. Here is Ross Lehman from Integrity Home Mortgage to share with us how to build a house portfolio. Well, we're here with Ross Lehman once again. Second time around. Second time's a charm, right? I love it. Yeah. I mean, having you on before to talk about your, I guess, primary vocation uh-huh. was great. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that at the end. Sure. But like we mentioned here in the beginning, several weeks ago on the on the podcast, we had an episode about flipping. And we want to hear your story of how you got into the investment game. 
Sure. Um, you know, looking back and how you explained, you know, where you came from with the other episode of being a nurse and, and all of that and coming into town, you know, it's it's an adventure. Sure. And you're jumping into real estate, you know, deep end right away. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so give us a quick little rundown on what interests you about investing in houses. Sure. So there's a couple of things that got me into it. And then a reason that I got into real estate as the investment, because there's all different kind of investment types. But mm -hmm. for me, real estate made a lot of sense. So what got me into it, obviously, um, as you grow up, you start thinking about the future when you're young and naive, you're, you're just thinking about tomorrow. But um, as I was getting older, think about future, having family, having mm -hmm. a wife that for us, a goal was for her to be a stay at home mom. So we just started thinking about, you know, how do I want to put the money that I have in my new job as a new nurse um, and make that work for us rather than, you know, just spending everything that we had. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I came from a background where we didn't have a lot of funds. And so there was a motivational factor for me to try to give more to my family than what I had to grow up with. Uh, I had wonderful family and wonderful parents, but financial means um, it was nice to have something that had a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so I actually um, was talking about it with one of the nurses at the time. And ironically, he's actually on my team as a loan officer nice. now. Oh, yes. cool. Yeah, exactly. It's funny how the world works like that. Ed Pibone. Bring him uh, to the dark side. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Um, and uh, we were talking about this and he's like, well, hey, you got to read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Good book. And exactly. It's one of the best books I ever read. And I tell people, look, it's not a how-to book. It's a why book. Mm. Um, and so after reading that, I was like, yeah, I really need to do something with this investing. Um, because at the time, I was just paying down my debts. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, that's the best thing to do with it. Uh, pay down these student loans, you know, get mm -hmm. ahead that way. And then I just started thinking about, you know, if I started investing that same amount of money that I was spending rather than paying off the debts, what was going to be the short-term and the long-term gains from that, mm. okay? That's what uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad really started getting me thinking about is where can I get my money to work for me as opposed to just paying off debts. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing bad about paying off debts, but for me, it became something of both a short-term and a long-term gain of you know making that money, that dollar, get me the furthest. Um, and so started thinking about the options, you know, what are the options? Get into the stock market, which I knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. Get into, you know, growing a business, which I didn't really have any interest in at the time. Um, and then what I already had, which was a house. Um, I had already bought my first house. I had already, you know, um, uh, understood the loan about it. Um, so um, I, I easily could translate that into working for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I just started, you know, doing some research on what would it be to, you know, rent out this house and um, jump into uh, buying other properties. Was that the same time that you went down the path of being a mortgage broker? So well? it was actually a couple of years before. So it was, uh, we actually just found out that we were pregnant with our first a couple exciting. months earlier. Yes, it was very exciting, but at the same time, we knew mm -hmm. our goal. And that's nerve wracking at the same time, too. <laughs> it is. It is. And my uh, poor wife, you know, she was just kind of along for the ride on mm -hmm. those things. And uh, the I have to tell you, for the first property, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, I don't even know if my current house is going to rent. So um, I just threw it up on Craigslist and uh, fully got someone ready to rent it. And now I'm like, 
shoot, I, I need to find somewhere that I can go. So I had to quick uh-huh. find another house. And uh-huh. um, uh, so uh, ironically, that, that first house, I actually went to view it with my real estate agent um, and uh, called my wife up and said, hey, I know you haven't seen this house yet, but do you trust me? Oh, wow. And she's like, yes, I trust you. And so we put a, an offer in on that house um, without my wife ever seeing it. And I think in the long run, uh, end up being good for us. But that's kind of, we hmm. just kind of jumped in um, with it, not having everything figured out. Hmm. but kind of figuring some things out along the way um, to to get that started. So let me just not back up, but pause you, because what you're saying is that you owned the house that you were living in. I did. And you decided to say, I can rent the house that I'm currently living in. Right. Go buy another house, you know, knowing that you can qualify for a loan. Sure. And go live there. Yes. So basically it's uprooting your entire household moving all of your things and going to a second house, but yet not selling your existing house. Correct. Renting it. Correct. And so that's certainly a step that seems easy. Correct. (laughs) But how do you go through that process just from, again, the money side of things? Sure. And you are a lender, so you can talk us through that as well. But that's one path to take. Correct. And then I'm curious of now, where are you down the path of just from pausing in the story here? But just walk us through that scenario of, renting your existing house to then go buy a right. new one. Well, and the reason that I decided to go that route um, is because, you know, I was looking at what I was uh, putting money towards. And at the time, it was my student loans. Okay. Um, and, you know, I had a monstrous amount of student loan debt. Um, and so I was starting to do, you know, the calculations and just think, okay, if I pay this $90,000 in student loans, at the end of it, I've got nothing, mm. okay? But what if I take that same amount or even a lesser amount and I just take a fraction of that and buy another house, okay? And, um, you know, that's the advantage of buying another primary and renting out your current houses. You can get into that new house with sometimes zero money down, 3%, mm. you know, 5% down. So really low funds compared to paying off a full debt. Okay. Um, and then while running through those numbers, I found that doing that paid off half of my student loan payment. So by doing a 3% down, it took less than $10,000 mm-hmm. on the next house. Mm-hmm. And that $10,000 was paying a essentially $45,000 worth of student loan debt. If I could just apply the money I was making by renting and put that towards my student loans. Hmm. So that's what started my mind thinking of, you know, okay, maybe I don't need to apply all that money to the debt. Maybe I apply to an asset that can pay off that debt. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of the day, once that debt is paid, I still have the house and I can still rent it out, mm-hmm. and I can still grow appreciation in the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what led me into, you know, buying the next primary residence. Um, and, you know, once I got into that house, and it took me about a year, I, I bought one that was, it, it was in pretty rough shape. Uh, and, and this is what I tell people too, you know, it was, it was good enough shape for me to be able to buy it with a loan, but it had a long way to go for me to be able to fix it up mm-hmm. and get a lot of sweat equity into mm-hmm. the home. Um, so well, about a year later after I had worked on that, I'm like, hey, why don't I just do this again? So was that your plan? All along, it, it, it or it, was, it turned into the plan? It, it turned into the plan because it was really the only viable plan at the time. And, you know, uh, 
really you can buy a house as your primary residence after living in your current house for about a year. Okay. Um, and you can buy the next one as a primary residence. You get primary residence rates and primary resident down payments, which mm -hmm. are going to be better for primary residents. Mm -hmm. let, let me ask you a quick question. For sure. So that first one that you did, how did you get past the fear of somebody else living in your house and what they potentially <laughs> could do to it? Because that's where I know a lot of people are stuck. Definitely. So how did you get past that? Yeah. Or was it even a fear? Well, uh, it definitely was a fear. I mean, my, my wife was six months pregnant at the time. Um, the first house that we owned still today, 20 some houses later, is the newest house I ever bought. So it, there was a fear of um, what are they going to do to my property? What are they going to, you know, are they going to ruin it? Are they going to get, um, am I going to go in there and they dumped trash down, you know, uh, the garbage disposal, which I've had happen before. Um, so there are <laughs> fears there and true fears, but, you know, anytime that you are investing, you are weighing the risks versus the potential negative outcomes mm -hmm. versus the, the potential positive side. And so for me, the, the risk of not being able to achieve what I wanted to in my 20s and waiting and waiting and waiting was um, it was better to take the risk of getting a tenant that might do something to the property. That makes um, sense. So, you know, really you got to kind of see where you are with that risk level there. And, you know, for me, I had to just overcome that and say, let's give it a try. You know, worst case scenario, we sell the houses and we start over again. Right. Um, and uh, what I did to help with that is, uh, even though I got a lot of applicants, I really went through them with a fine tooth uh, comb. Mm -hmm. Now I can be a little bit more flexible and look at, you know, what is the potential income from it. But for that one, I wanted to make sure that I had a good tenant that was going to treat it well. Um, so I got, um, you know, I just really went through the credit report, went through, you know, uh, income and how, you know, that it was very stable, all those type of factors that you kind of do when you're getting a loan. But I did that for the first tenant that I had. And my cash flow wasn't great, but it helped me take that step. I right. was just going to ask you that question. So cash flow, mm -hmm. that's something that you know, is an easy word to say, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to rent my house and I'm going to be making money every month. Right. So, you know, what was your goal in getting cash flow? I mean, obviously you have monthly expenses right. and then you're trying to get the tenant to pay those monthly expenses and maybe even make some. Right. So in your experience now looking down the road, were you thinking properly about cash flow when you first took this leap of faith? Um, I think in some ways I was, and in other ways I, I now look for more uh, of a monthly cash flow to cover not just short-term expenses, but long-term mm -hmm. expenses too. Mm -hmm. The nice thing that I liked about that first one, which uh, for a first-time investor, I always recommend renting the house that you have mm -hmm. because it, it's kind of like, you know how you get to know either your, uh, your spouse or your mm -hmm. significant other you know what's going to make them tick. You know what's, you know, you say a certain something, it's going to upset them or make them feel good. You, it's kind of how it is with a house. If you've lived in it, you know that toilet clogs up every three months. There's mm -hmm. probably something wrong mm -hmm. there, okay? Mm -hmm. You know more or less the age of the house. You know your HVAC system. You, you know how the house works. Mm -hmm. And so renting out that house is a lot simpler because you if you get that call that that toilet is backed up it's not a surprise and you're, you're not willing to throw in the towel over something you expected mm -hmm. so um you know to kind of go back to your question is the 
go like getting that first house of you know um uh sorry say your question one more time cash flow cash flow yes yeah so and going that first house taking that leap yep. was more important than just cash flow yeah um the other thing about that house is that it did have an hoa which sometimes is terrible. In this instance, it actually helped a lot because it helped take some of those things that would have been my responsibility and helped put it on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it did take my cash flow away um, because I had that HOA did go up over time, um, but it did help with who's going to take care of exterior maintenance, um, who's going to take care of water bills, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those Mm -hmm. type of things that the HOA was taking care of that I didn't have to worry about for the tenant. Mm-hmm. So how I'm, I'm sure everybody thinks differently, but since you are a lender, you like numbers and you're crunching numbers. So uh-huh. how do you keep track of these expenses? Do you have a big grandmaster, uh, I don't know, like app or spreadsheet or, you know, what do you use to track these numbers to make sure that you know that you're on top of the cash flow? Sure. And, you know, I, I would probably say I'm I'm somewhere in the middle where um, I'm not like my father or father-in-law who mm-hmm. are both CPA accountants right. yes. and they're logging every single thing in that they do. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also not n- negligent of it where I don't monitor anything. So what I do, and it's a continual track, Uh, practice for me is try to at least log the important things. What am I paying, um, you know, on a monthly basis for these things? And uh, especially if it's something I'm covering, Um, electric, uh, water, uh, sewer, any of those type of things, Mm -hmm. gas bills. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I also make sure that if there's maintenance, that it's somehow being covered um, or monitored on a monthly or annual basis. Right. And part of the ways that I've found has been beneficial to do that is actually having someone else maintain the properties, mm. uh, a property maintenance, because um, they will keep track of that. And it comes on, you know, my end of the year um, form that I get to say, these were the factors that, you know, we had to keep in maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um when I'm evaluating a property, I'm looking at those things as well. Um, looking at what are the costs that I'm going to have to cover. If it's a, a multi-unit, if everything is put into one thing, I need to be able to account for that in my what I'm charging for my rents. Um, I also need to make sure that, you know, what is the age of the roof? What is the age of the HVAC? Because a lot of times you're just thinking, hey, these are the monthly costs. Hey, it's covering that and I get a few dollars extra. But then you're hit with that, you know, $15,000 roof bill and you're like, Man, that really Starting, eats my long-term yeah. cash flow. Long-term cash yeah. flow is now gone. Exactly. <laughs> now, do you use some sort of system for this or just Excel? So I just use, yes, Excel. Okay. Um, as far as logging the stuff, I'm using QuickBooks. Um, but as far as, you know, when I'm uh, evaluating a property, um, I am using like Excel. I have a mm-hmm. spreadsheet I put together to help me try to formulate what those things are. Um So, and, you know, a lot of times when I'm looking at it too, there's factors as far as, you know, uh, and we can get into this a little bit more if you want, but the ability when you're investing to put money in, get your money back out and still be able to cash flow is extremely important because it can be very costly to get into real estate. But the great thing about real estate is that you have a lot of your hands to be able to put money in to be able to get that money back out again. I do want to talk about that. That's kind of my next layer is fast forward a little bit. So you took that jump 
of leap of faith to say, hey, honey, let's go move, to then, okay, let's do this again in a year. Yeah. And now, you know, your cash, your actual liquid cash is probably still not huge. Sure. So you're now relying on getting a loan and tapping into that to buy another house. Are you then, you know, reinvesting in other things? And how do you grow to where now you are actually becoming more liquid with mm-hmm. cash instead of just being house poor and owning several houses that are just basically breaking even? Right. Where's that next step? How do you do that to take, are you, just a simple question. I mean, are you refinancing and and taking money out to then reflow and cycle it? What does that look like in your world? Yeah. So the, the terrible thing about real estate investors is we never have cash available because we're always having it out there Mm -hmm. trying to make money for us. I tell everybody, I always feel cash poor because my cash is always out there. And that's my goal. If I have cash sitting, let's make it work for me. Right. And so, you know, cash is always the hardest part, especially getting to the point where in real estate, if you can start making cash transactions, it really Mm -hmm. starts helping you to leverage your purchases Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, I need to get a loan. It needs to go through the loan process. Mm -hmm. My, obviously the goal is, hey, can you do a cash purchase, Mm -hmm. do what you need to do to it, and then get the loan on top of it and hopefully get the money back out of it. After the fact, after After you've purchased it with the cash that you've somehow borrowed from exactly. somewhere else. <laughs> yep, and that's where you're either, you know, trying to get private investors. That's usually the easiest pace to start. You know, hey, do you have an uncle that has money? Um, or do you know someone that has money? I think most people do. They just don't want to take the risk of right. offending someone or feeling yeah. like they're asking for a handout. And I have to remind people, you're not asking for a handout. You are giving them an option to make money maybe some better and something that actually is tangible than say putting it into the stock market. Or even getting into business with somebody. Right. Exactly. You know, so there's there's the friendship component, the exactly. family component of, you know, whatever. And I do this as well when I talked about our flipping concept, I'm the same way with the having cash up front. Right. And make it a win win situation, mm-hmm. but put it in writing. Right. <laughs> make exactly. it firm and even if it is family, even if it are as friends, you know, don't let that slide to where it's not in writing and they know what they're getting into and they know what their returns will be. Well, if you make it something rational instead of emotional, that's the big difference. So whoever you're working with, borrowing it from, as long as they can see it as a transaction instead of a, I'm lending you money, which usually comes with strings and all kinds of other things. Exactly. If you start making it feel like they're doing you a favor, Mm -hmm. then it just feels like, you know, there's a lot of weight on one side. And so, you know, if you're doing it, do it like a business come to them with what is it going to be with the value afterwards? What's the rent going Mm -hmm. to be? Not only is your initial plan, do you have a backup plan? Mm -hmm. Okay. If this doesn't work out, what's your second option? Okay. So if you're going to them with that, it really helps go a long way. Just approach it like you would a bank. Okay. People aren't going to give you, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of dollars uh, for, you know, no reason. They want to know how they're going to get that money back. Right. Exactly. In the very beginning of the process, I did have to use private money to start it, especially, you know, the first one was a loan. The second one need a lot of work. It wasn't going to go with a loan. So I did have to get private money in order to do that. And we did the exact same thing. We had everything as if it was, you know, a bank that I was borrowing it from, mm-hmm. um, and even recorded as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that doing a cash transaction as a purchase for the next one really helped take that to the next level of uh, being able to, um, leverage money that was not mine into that purchase because I was able to 
buy that next one cash, put money into it, and then when I refinance that, I got all the money back out to be able to pay off that lender, and now I'm just cash flowing on that property without having a t- very much money of my own into mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, in the beginning, you have to go that route. Now, at this point, um, once you do a couple of those, and whether you get money with flips, as you mentioned, or you're starting to gain equity and cash flow in your own business, then you can start leveraging the funds of those properties into more properties. And you got to be careful there. You don't want to over leverage yourself. And banks have made it a lot better than it was, you know, 15, 20 Mm -hmm. years ago um, to try to make sure you're not over leveraged. But it's still important to be able to make sure you're not taking so much cash out of a property and now you're showing negative cash flow. At least that's what's important for me. Um, Because, you know, when the dust settles, you need to be able to be generating income for the Mm -hmm. business. So where are you now? So, you know, fast forward, you've been Mm -hmm. doing this for a few years now. Uh And how many properties are out there? Give or take, you don't have to give us all your numbers, but tell us kind of what are the stats for you? Yeah. So for me, I do have, I I personally have um, 18 properties. Mm -hmm. I'm in uh, the process. I'm under contract for two more duplexes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll be having four more, um, hopefully within the next, you know, three to six months, um, bought, renovated and refinanced. Um, And... Um, that's, you know, my goal is to have, you know, about 50 in the next, you know, three to four years. Mm. Um, so right now, a lot of them, what I'm doing and some of them, I will say they're a good portion of them are with a partnership. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing that can help leverage your business is doing it with a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, it decreases your risk. It gives other insights and you want to find a partner that will help complement you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being able to get that partner, um, can help you grow exponentially rather than, you know, just multiply Mm -hmm. uh, by two, because now you have two people that are out there. You've got, um, the banks look at you a little bit more securely. Um, so having that partner can really help grow that. So for me, I've got, I'll have, um, I'll have 14 with a partner, and then I'll have um, eight of those personally hmm. myself. That's so, awesome. What, so yeah. what year did you start? When, so, when, when was the first one? Yes. So I started, um, it would have been seven years ago. Um, so 2015 is when okay. I started. Kind of just a um, slow, gradual build. Yes. And then once you see it working, yes. and then you're like, hey, i got to keep this ball going. Exactly. And I'll say the first three were about the first five years. And um, I think it was 13 of those were within the last two years. Mm. So, you know, you see it start to grow Mm -hmm. on itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing that a lot of people, you know, make a mistake of. They want to be the real estate tycoon, and then they start trying to gobble everything up. And before you know it, you're the dog that caught the bus, and you can't make your payments. And yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. And, and then it starts hurting your credit. Once your credit is hurt, it's really hard to recover from that. Or you've, um, even worse than that, created negative, poor relationships because in the industry, you know, you're your word to other people who are lending you money is worth more than anything. Mm-hmm. And so once you tarnish that, it's hard to get that back yep. again. Yep. Yeah. So just a final kind of question or yeah. pick your brain because you compare this to flipping and, mm-hmm. and I was able to explain that several weeks ago. 
it's similar concept of how you're building and growing kind of a nest egg, but in the flipping concept, you're selling each Correct. time. So as I explain how I do it, using the same kind of investor concept and then selling and then growing from that, growing your nest egg so you can keep building and then not really relying as much on investors. Right. You're doing the same concept, but you're retaining the properties. Correct. I guess my explanation of why I flip, because I don't like to be a property manager. Sure. And I don't want to have to deal with the headaches. Sure. So you have a similar path. Yeah. But explain how you have handled kind of the potential headaches or the idea of being a property manager, because yes, you are paying, it sounds like a service to companies to do that for you. Yeah. Like, I know it's working for you. So (laughs) give us the benefits of why people should go down the path of building a portfolio instead of just straight up buying and selling. Sure. And, you know, I have flipped some properties and it really depends on, you know, what type of properties are are you buying? And and some of them aren't really long-term holding materials. Um, So, you know, depending on those houses are is how I evaluate. Do I want to hold on to it for a long-term or do I just want to sell this one, take the profits for reinvestment Mm -hmm. to something else? Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it was more of a long-term play. This is something that I want to be able to provide now for my family and down the line. Um, so that's why I'm holding on to these properties because I'm in it for both the you know the multiplication of the cash flow um, as well as appreciation over time. And that's one of the things that I love about um, real estate that really you know kind of took me a little bit of time to grasp is why real estate over say like stocks okay mm-hmm. so you put ten thousand dollars into stocks you your ten thousand dollars is what grows so even let's say it grows at eight percent then you're only growing that ten thousand dollars at eight percent but in real estate if you put ten thousand dollars into say a house that's two hundred thousand you're gaining and let's say it's the same rate of return of eight percent you're getting eight percent on the 200,000, yeah. right. not, not on, on your, your 10, initial investment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the leveraged growth of that was so huge in, in, you know, in trying to grasp why is real estate working for me? Should I start putting my eggs into different baskets? And I started becoming frustrated because I did that and I wasn't getting the rate of return. So I'm like, why am I putting my eggs in different baskets? And you'll get all different kinds of people telling you differently and that's okay. Um, but I'm like, why can't I do that rather than leverage that money more? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, what I found very early on, because I, when I started it, I started talking to people who were also doing investing, yep. especially real estate investing. And I found the people that are like, oh, yeah, I did that. And we became so tired and frustrated. <laughs> we just decided just to sell it. Most yep. of them got to the point of about two to four units and that's just like, okay, that does what we need it to do. But at that point, you're starting to get those calls. Yeah. Okay? Two to four units. Yep. You're getting those calls. Hey, you know, we've got this leak or the toilet or the roof or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so two to four units is one of those hard times to where it's like, it's not really enough to give to a management company, but it's also, it becomes kind of a headache to be mm-hmm. able to hassle with. And you get to that point where you're like, I might as well just work overtime at my job because I know that job and it's less, um, you know, less of a headache, but it's not really good in the long term. Right. Okay. So I found that once I got over that two to four unit hump and be like, okay, we need to give this to somebody else that can take away 95% of those headaches. And then yes, it's going to cost me money, 
But as long as I'm putting that into what I project as, you know, my cash flow, and I just know it's going to be a cost of doing business, Mm -hmm. it takes that weight off to be able to say, okay, let's go continue to expand. Let's go, you know, uh, I I don't feel that weight of those calls anymore because that's what's hindering you. Mm -hmm. That's what got those people out of it. Well, and you still have a full-time job too on top of the business that you get. And kids. So, I mean, you can't be answering your phone all the time with however many tenants that you have. So that does sound like it's worth it. Well, it's worth taking the jump. Yes. Mm -hmm. The leap of faith, again, hearing your story starting from basically just a whim and saying, I think I want to do this and let's let's go ahead and buy another house and rent the one we live in Mm -hmm. to where you are now. can hopefully be inspiring to people to say, I've been thinking about this, but how do I do it and do I take the jump? And your wife is pretty awesome. I mean, she she just say, all right, fine. You picked out a house for me? Yeah, we moved five times in a two and a half year period, you know, both for moving from states, but also Mm -hmm. because of this too. And so, you know, she just kind of said, hey, I'm I'm along for a ride. And now she loves it. You know, yeah. uh, she she gets really into it as well. Um, but it did take that leap of faith because you are taking some security out of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's that that is difficult for especially if you have a family. Um, now, one thing I will say, a lot of times people think they look at it and they say, oh, great passive income. I yeah. want more passive income. <laughs> right, right. And so with that, just know, I mean, it, nothing is truly passive. You can mm-hmm. get it to the point to where it's passive, but, um, you know, you do have to work at that in the beginning. Um, and so, you know, finding finding the deals, working the numbers, doing the rehabs, whatever it is, it is time staking. It is painful. Yep. It is um, you're nervous. Is it going to appraise for what I needed to? Am I making the right decisions? So I will not tell anybody that is just an easy breezy, go out there, buy a house. It's going to be simple. It's not oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. You got to work. There's still, there's still stuff so to do. So it sounds like, um, you know, you're obviously still in the nursing doing that when this all first started. Yes. So was that kind of the precursor to, look, if we're buying these houses and I'm spending this on mortgage fees and whatnot that you could be benefiting from it doing the business? Is that where this came into the the career you have now? It, it became a huge part of it because what I found was I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love investing into real estate and I love talking to people about it. And I started talking to people about how they can do mm-hmm. it. And, um, you know, I, I was becoming a little bit tired, I'll just say it that way, in my job. Um, and so, you know, uh, I was like, well, I'm already helping people achieve this. Why not start a career that I can get paid to do that? Because it's something that I'm passionate about, something that I believe in. Um, Not that I don't believe in the medical field at all, but, you know, we have so much financial illiteracy in our country. And this is one way that we can Mm -hmm. help people build wealth. Mm. Um, you know, wealth is so difficult. We think of being rich, but wealth, the ability to mm-hmm. recuperate funds and be able to provide um, and have your dollar make you money. Uh, we just don't talk about very much in this country. And so talking, starting to talk to people about that was really a passion of mine. That's awesome. Well, you're inspiring. Uh, hopefully a lot of people listening. <laughs> well, so <laughs> keep it keep it up. And instead of having five iconic questions for you, because you've been here before, sure. you know the questions, you might give the same or different answers. I like to put you in the hot seat with your current job of being a lender. Sure. We're going to go through just some quick hitting questions here real quick that you can give us the state of the union of where we are. Okay. So 
question number one, what are the current rates right sure. now? Yeah, so I'm seeing anywhere from uh, mid sixes to mid sevens. Okay. And it really depends on loan program, credit, how much you're putting as a down payment, um, all those different type of, type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also finding that paying points more than even a year or two ago can get you a lot further of a distance. So making mm. sure that's part of your communication with your loan officer um, because it, a lot of people think, hey, I'll just put more money down and it's going to save me on my monthly payment. Hmm. But sometimes paying a fraction of that hmm. towards a point will actually save you more on your monthly payment. Cool. So you're, getting, you're, you're covering my second question. What are those costs of paying points? Sure. What does that look like? So one point is 1% of the loan amount. Okay. Okay. Um, I just had someone the other day that paying two points got her down more than 1% on her loan, Hmm. uh, on her interest rate. Uh, so, you know, that two points might have cost, you know, $4,000, paying that towards your, you know, down payment, save her maybe 35, 40 bucks a month, but paying it down towards a point, which was over a full 1% interest, um, you know, it was saving her about $120 a month Hmm. or more. So, you know, working to see how can you apply those funds to where it's going to work best for you. Hmm. What are you telling those first time home buyers right now that are struggling to find a place? What are your predictions for are the rates going to drop? That's, that's the big question right now. That a lot of our buyers, me and Megan, are just yep. we're they're they're staying put. They're so waiting. What are we What are we encouraging these buyers right now to to do? Are that should they wait because rates are going to drop, or should they just keep working with what they've got and look at this point concept? Sure, sure. So uh, that's going to be a really it's a hard question to answer because will rates drop? I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, can you put your uh, your your come little, on, like, I think I mean your wizard hat on you're and asking the me. I mean I I think that is it's a good possibility. You know, I think we're intentionally slowing the economy down and I think anytime we do things intentionally, mm-hmm. we're okay and even may want to overshoot that. Um at which point, you know, if we do overshoot that, the way that they'll help correct that overshooting is by maybe reducing those interest rates again. So I think it's a good possibility. Um, What I'm also reminding buyers is that regardless, it's still a good time for them to buy for reasons other than rate. Because with first-time home buyers, interest rates are important. But the other items are almost even more important. Okay, first-time home buyers tend to need other loan types other than conventional or cash. Mm-hmm. They might mm-hmm. need USDA, FHA, VA loans. Um, they may need uh, closing cost assistance. They might need to be able to, you know, uh, work with the sellers and get, you know, inspections and get, um, uh, you know, the full appraisal amount and be reliant on the appraisal value. So those things can be really important for first-time homebuyers, even more than, say, the monthly payment for Mm. the interest rate. Mm. And we've shifted that dramatically in the last six months to a year to where we couldn't get inspections. We they weren't accepting non-conventional or uh, cash uh, options because there was already ten offers on Mm -hmm. the house. Mm -hmm. Now that we're seeing that change, the buyers have more power to get what they want. And what's the common saying out there? Date the rate, marry the house. They can get the house that they want. Hmm. And then, you know, if rates do change, they can get, get a better rate later. Right. right. And, and, you know, a, a house is a long-term investment. Okay? Right. Most people aren't buying a house because they're planning on, you know, selling it in a year. So 
you're, it's really important to be able to decide where you're going to live. And then as long as it fits in your budget and then adjusting what that rate can be down the line. Yeah. Love it. Quick final question. Well, two more. This is question number four. What's the most common loan that you're seeing people get right now? Oh, good one. Good question. (laughs) Um, I I would still say conventional Mm -hmm. is still, but I am seeing a lot more FHA and USDA loans being used for that exact reason, Mm -hmm. where, you know, first-time homebuyers felt they had to go conventional, even if it was costing them more a month. So that's the important part, too, is I saw a lot of first-time homebuyers last year go into a conventional loan, pay more a month because of the conventional loan, and now they can use USDA or FHA, and it's actually costing them less compared to a conventional loan. So I would say probably what I'm seeing is about 50-50 between the government loans and conventional Mm -hmm. at this point. So final question, or just kind of the costs. What are the closing costs related to all those all those kinds of loans are they all about the same and then if so what's the percentage that people can expect yeah so closing costs between the different loan types are going to be pretty much the same mm-hmm. okay um there's going to be a little bit of variance maybe on the appraisal cost so you're talking within 100 or 200 bucks they're about the same um but as far as um using a rule of thumb a good rule of thumb in virginia is about three percent of the sales price now that starts to break down because some of those costs are fixed costs our lender fees are fixed costs not all lenders are but ours are um and then title company costs tend to be very similar um and appraisal costs are going to be about the same regardless of loan amount so there's going to be costs that stay the same regardless of a five hundred thousand dollar purchase or two hundred thousand dollar purchase good so right around three hundred thousand is where that three percent rule works just know it's going to be a little bit more if you go below that maybe a little bit less as you go above that got it you are good Quick on the yeah. draw. I love it. <laughs> you know your you, stuff. You passed the test of the, uh, of the State of the Union questions, except you, you didn't put your wizard hat on enough I, to tell us exactly what's going to happen exa- down the road. But. I forgot my uh, you know, my magic ball today, but I'll see if I can bring that next time. Perfect. We'll need that. Well, give us just a quick rundown of how people can connect with you, obviously as a lender, but if you sparked interest in somebody, it sounds like you're willing to kind of share your thoughts. Definitely. How can people contact you? Yeah. Um, you can reach me at uh, mortgagebyross.com. I'm also on Facebook, Mortgage by Ross, um, and then uh, phone number, uh, email. I'm pretty open um, to any of those type of things. Great. Uh, yep. All the contact is out there for you. So, Ross, thank you so much. My pleasure. I've been wanting to have you come on to talk about this for a while now. So, thanks for squeezing in your time. Thanks for having and, me. We love uh, having you back again, absolutely. too. Absolutely. I'd be happy to come back if you want me. Thanks. Uh-huh. Well, thanks to Ross, and um, he's a wealth of knowledge. You know? I, very, very knowledgeable, very well spoken. Um, he, it was wonderful. A lot of great information. Um, I love the story about kind of how it started mm-hmm. and just kind of going out on a limb and just doing it. Yep. So what did you learn? Everything. I mean, what what kind of aspects of what he? Because you're right, wealth of knowledge, but also broke it down very easily in a tangible conversation. Well, I think the big thing for me, which even spoke to me is just that the first step of, you know, looking at it as uh, more of a a business transaction, you bought your house, you're living in the house, all right, let's rent this house, Mm -hmm. we're moving, we're going to get another house, and then we're going to rent the one that we were in. And now you have two properties. Yep. And my big, my big issue is just that fear of, 
what happens if they trash that house and now you have two mortgages and so all of that. Yeah. So I, I liked hearing about how he handled that aspect. And I think that to me would be the biggest step is getting over that first hurdle, yeah. getting that first one, that first property outside of the one that you're living in and then going from there. And you got to think long term. Right. You know, don't look at it as just like, oh, all the, the dread and the expenses of doing mm-hmm. things right up front here. Think long term and that uh, that long term wealth. I'm I'm struggling right now with my rental that I have. I have to replace the roof this week. And so I feel his pain of saying, oh, save the money away for a rainy day. Well, my rainy day is right now because rain is coming through right. the roof. So, <laughs> yeah. But I again, once you get past that, again, you're you're building equity in the house, even through those expenses that you're doing through those repairs, you're going to eventually sell it one day down the road for mm-hmm. a big pretty penny you know and so right that and having a plan yeah. like he has goals of how many properties he wants to have a kind of a time frame so i think having those goals to look forward to and work towards is to really build up helpful to, also you know the last couple of years to just be at 13 plus to yeah. build now to almost to 20 that's huge mm-hmm. now i do have to say i got to put my real estate hat on as a realtor and say it's still important to pick the right place right so it's still important to go through and be critical of is this a good location where i can get maximum dollars for a tenant and if i ever did have to just bail and sell it is it a good location where i could sell it quickly Mm -hmm. so i'm always going to be looking at it if i'm working with any of you who are listening i'm going to look at it from that investment potential down the road as well of yes is it a good location that will give you that kind of maximum dollars so you don't want to just buy any old house and then hope it's going to do you know produce magic magic dollars for you so um Think critically about what that looks like. So, so. what did you specific? Anything that really stood out to you? Yeah, the 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 number of how quick he was able to grow. You know, mm-hmm. to me, that's impressive, and that's getting beyond that fear, taking that first step, and then saying, "This is what I want to do," and then having the drive and motivation to do it while having another job. To me, is impressive, mm-hmm. and so. If he can do it, I know other people can do it. And yeah, it takes a special skill set. But what I liked from him, what he said is finding a partner so you can share the workload, find somebody who, right. who, who compliments is, you. Compliments you. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Yep. I got you. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Well, Megan, take us take us down the road of what's happening in the world of Winchester, Frederick County this coming weekend. All right. So coming up, we've got the oyster dinner or fried chicken dinner on Saturday, uh, the 3rd at 430. It's the Star Tannery Volunteer Fire Department. They're going to have uh, all kinds of great food. The oyster dinner is $18 and the kids, uh, the chicken's 15. There's also, and I know we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago on a different episode, Abrams Delight. Hmm. So didn't you yes. do family pictures there? We did. So there's going to be an Abrams Delight annual candlelight tour. Oh, that would actually be really neat. That's going to be this Friday at 6 p.m. and Saturday um, from 3 to 7. Awesome. Um, there's also breakfast with Santa on Saturday from 8 to 11. It's Stephen City Fire and Rescue. Cool. And we're going to also have fire, excuse me, follow, go to from fire with the fire department, um, follow the star, which is a nativity guided walking tour that is also Saturday and Sunday this weekend. I will pause you there because that is my sweet spot you, you there take it from here of yes of <laughs> fellowship bible church mm-hmm. and you know also i'll go back to prior episodes so last year we were able to interview somebody from the church um episode 21 it's called the reason for the season and really it's a very similar conversation that if you wanted to hear about it you can go listen to that one the primary difference though is that post covid we're not just doing a driving tour 
it's happening in person where you're still going to be able to walk around the different um, stations and see the camels and the animals and the angels and hear the singing and get cookies in a tent afterwards. Um, so there's a lot of cool new things that are happening this year, and it's on Fellowship Bible Church's property, okay. whereas in the past pre-COVID, it was at Creekside Battlefield, or right. the Kernstown Battlefield and Creekside Station. So at Fellowship Bible Church on Saturday and Sunday night, starting at five o'clock, you might see me there. Okay, so fair warning, if you do go, <laughs> come look for me and uh, maybe say hi. And then we've also got an FFA alumni bake sale and soup sale that's on Saturday the 4th and Monday the 5th at Sharando and Ayler during their fruit pickup. So they're going to be sold um, donation or free will offering. We are in the season now. Yes. You know, it is Christmas, so cookies and soups uh, and, soups and <laughs> parties and you name it. So, yeah, we're having our icon party coming up here. That's, oh, yeah. We're not inviting you guys to that. I'm just, but we'll, we'll probably we'll share some stories yes. about ugly. The fun. Isn't it, aren't we doing an ugly sweater Christmas party? Yeah. Yeah. I believe there's a fanny pack that uh, needs to get passed on to somebody else, wow. if I recall. Okay. Just re gifting. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. Well, thanks for joining us in this episode of Iconic Talk. We hope you learned something from today's episode. I know I did. And look forward to sharing more with you next week. Remember, when you look for a real estate professional, make sure they're experienced, innovative, personal, dedicated, and available. And we appreciate you spending some of your valuable time with us. If you have a moment, we would love it if you would take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Yep. Thanks to our editor extraordinaire, Simeon Battaglia. Until next time, think iconic. Iconic.